on March 7th, 2020, I was lucky enough to record an interview with the legendary costume designer William Ivy Long. On April 13th, he was set to do a talk at the Paul Green Theater, which is located on the campus of UNC Chapel Hill. Though due to the coronavirus that's been going on all over the world recently, the talk has been canceled. However, I definitely did not want my interview with him to go to waste, so the show must go on. What you'll be listening to is an edited version of the interview that removes everything regarding his planned visit. But for those who would like to hear the version of the interview where he talks about what he had planned, you can find it on my Patreon page. For $3 minimum a month, you can get some exclusive content from me that you won't be able to find anywhere else. For those who are interested in becoming a patron, the link is included in the episode notes. So without further ado, let's get on with the interview. Hello everyone, this is Jeffrey Kerr. I'm here today with a North Carolina native who also happens to be a legendary costume designer for the Broadway stage, William Ivy Long. William's many Broadway credits include The Tap Dance Kid, Six Degrees of Separation, Guys and Dolls, Smokey Joe's Cafe, Big, Chicago, Cabaret, Contact, The Music Man, Susicle, Curtains, Young Frankenstein, 9 to 5, Catch Me If You Can, Big Fish, Bullets Over Broadway, Tootsie, and Beetlejuice. He's also won six Tony Awards for his work on the original Broadway productions of Nine, Crazy For You, The Producers, Hairspray, Grey Gardens, and Rodgers and Hammerstein's Cinderella. Good morning, William. Good morning. I'm exhausted by that list. <laughs> <laughs> I'm conjuring them up. <laughs> now, going back to the beginning, how did you first get started in the theater? Oh, my goodness. Well, as I mentioned, my parents were Carolina Playmakers. They were at Chapel Hill during the winter, and then Mancio, North Carolina, uh, they were working with the Lost Colony, which was sort of an offshoot at that point of the Carolina Playmakers, sort of the summer place where everybody went to, to work and, and then go back to Chapel Hill. So I grew up literally in the scene shop. My father was also, he taught design, but he also was the technical director. And I shared my, my days half with in the scene shop and half in the costume shop, which was at that time at uh, the Carolina Playmakers and Ed Mantio at the Lost Colony, run by Irene Smart Reigns. So I think that was the beginning of my interest in uh, fabrics and in uh, scenery, scenery and costumes. Yeah, I think that's that's it. That really is my uh, crucible, the crucible of where you, the petri dish, whatever. Anyway, that's those are my childhood memories of playing in the scene shop and in the costume shop. And how did you receive your first opportunity to work in New York? Oh, well, so I went to, I sort of, twisted the, the family tradition of going to Chapel Hill first, and I went to William Mary first, and have a degree in history, then I went to Chapel Hill and art history, studied art history at the Ackland Center, a teaching fellow. I was living with Betty Smith on Roseberry Street, a family friend, and uh, she had gone to the Yale School of Drama. She had been in the original uh, playwriting class, and through osmosis and just a little nudging, I uh, switched focus. I applied for and was admitted at the, into the Yale Drama School in set design because Betty had gone there and she was always sort of nudging me to, why aren't you in the theater, you know, studying the theater? So I did. And when I graduated from, uh, I was in, as I often say, because it's not name dropping anymore, it's just history. <laughs> I was in the Meryl Streep class. <laughs> 
Oh. We called it that then. We knew she was special. So in, in 1975, we graduated in the spring, and everyone moved to either Los Angeles to do movies or to New York to pursue a career on Broadway, live theater. And I went to pursue a career in New York. So that's sort of how I got to New York, to uh, work my way up, <laughs> starting out working in the Brooks Van Horn costume shop, and then finally getting my foot on the ladder. Is that an okay answer? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And and when you receive offers to work on a project, what usually motivates you to do it? Oh, my goodness. Many things. Usually the relationship with the director. That's usually the gets the quickest yes if, it, if I'm asked by a favorite director to work on a project. Usually the director calls me. Sometimes the producer calls me. And very infrequently, out of the blue, people I've never met call me. So, <laughs> But the, the instant yes is with people with whom I've already worked and had great, I've, I've only actually had great experiences. I'm very lucky. That's my answer for that one. Well, yeah, you've worked with several directors multiple times like Jerry Zach, Susan Stroman, Scott Ellis, and Jack O'Brien. That's exactly right. Like 35 productions with Jerry, almost 30-something with Susan, like 15 with Scott. And many, but le less than a dozen, but still many uh, vital ones with Jack O'Brien. And Walter Bobby, I've, I've worked, oh, yeah. done many with Walter Bobby. So that's called repeat business, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And at what point in the process of developing a production do you usually begin working? Well, that's also, I love that one, because then I get to say, I'm number two <laughs> in the structure. The first person who works with the director is the set designer. Oh, by the way, somewhere in there, I switched from set design to costumes. I forgot to mention that. Oh, oh by the way. Oh, FYI. <laughs> <laughs> I'm now a costume designer primarily. I, I still do scenery, mostly for ballet, and I also designed The Lost Colony, outdoor drama, sets, and costumes. Oh, by the way, I'm starting my 50th season, 5-0, of working with the show. I started when I was eight years old, but of course, if you do the numbers, I took several years off because I'm more than... 58. The set designer and the director have already sort of created the world, and then I come in next and populate the world, and then after I've done my sketches and designs, and they've been approved, then the lighting designer comes in and lights all of the above. Mm. So that's sort of the order in which uh, it happens. And how would you describe your work aesthetic? Well, my work aesthetic is like a hysterical Virgo. If anyone's a Virgo, you know what I mean. We make lists, we get up early, we double-check the list, we go to bed, we wake up in the middle of the night, sketch things, look at the list. That's my work aesthetic. But I start by, when I'm working with the director, asking, is this a period production? Is it contemporary? You know, and they tell me sort of, are it a fantasy? Are we on Mars? You know, what, what's that? And then I, before my first meeting, I start preparing uh, reference boards, and I have a wonderful big studio here in Tribeca in New York. My assistants and I uh, Xerox lots and lots and lots of pictures, and we put them all over the walls as we're pinning them into these styrofoam insulation boards that I painted white. They're four by eight. Then the director comes, and we put little yellow post-its on the ones that are favorite, and that's our first that we talk, we're constantly talking about the story. Meanwhile, I've done breakdowns of flowcharts of the play, Act one, act two, act three, mostly act one and two, with who's in what scene. And we work on that at the same time as what does it look like, who's in, how many costumes will there be. 
So I start with both the left side and the right side of the brain. I start with organizing and list, and then we do budget breakdowns at the same time. Then I start sketching from these yellow post-its when the director says, oh, I like that look. Oh, I like that for somebody. I like that. So I work very closely with the director and sometimes with the choreographer at the same time. And if you have a playwright, a living playwright, the playwright also comes to the studio. And that's how I began. And you've worked on a wide variety of different projects, such as plays, musicals, new works, and revivals. What would you say are the biggest differences between designing costumes for all of those? Oh, my goodness. Well, the new play is often the most exciting. It's also the most terror-filled, because you don't know what it's going to be. I've often gone out of town and with a show we've been working on for its tryout, and the producers throw out Act 1, or the director throws out Act 1, or Act 2, or both. So new plays take the most work, obviously, because you don't know. So that's exciting. Revivals are also exciting because there are two things to a revival. First of all, it's only being revived because it's a very good show, and people want to see it or hear it again. And secondly, how do you make it fresh and new and not just a historical copy because mostly people don't want a historical copy they want a new interpretation so those are the different things to be considered the new play is exciting because and you have its new ground and then the revival has been done before you have to respect that but then you have to find a new way to do it and you've also worked on several screen-to-stage musical adaptations. When it comes to designing costumes for those kinds of projects, how often are you influenced by their screen counterparts? Oh, my goodness. Well, that is, of course. You put your finger right on it. That's the first thing I ask. How do we deal with the film images? Are we going to follow that or make it up? In the producers, Mel Brooks, the producers, that's in the Stroman directed choreograph. I asked Mel himself, I said, now, Mel, you know, am I to cop, you know, what from the film should I, you know, duplicate that you're, is near to your heart? He said, no, 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 I want you to totally imagine, reimagine everything. And then, so I did. I reimagined most of it. There's some nods to the film in, it, in our uh, stage production. But then when we did Young Frankenstein, I asked Mel the same question. He said, no, 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 I really wanted to resemble the film. I'm really fond of so we did that. So, of course, the producers was a super hit, and your Frankenstein was not. So maybe that was a cautionary tale. I don't know. <laughs> We've redone Young Frankenstein now, and it's quite successful. It's been sort of restructured and made a little smaller, and it had a sold-out production run in London recently. So there. <laughs> There's always going to be some hint at the film. Like my two shows... Last year on Broadway, that opened, by the way, a day apart, Tootsie and Beetlejuice, of course, were both films, but both were brought up to date. I mean, they're cell phones in them, and they both were in the 80s, early 80s. Mm -hmm. Tootsie and Beetlejuice opened basically in 1983, same year. We updated it with cell phones, but I must tell you, we totally reimagined the look on both of them. Yes, there's a red sequin dress. That was the one requirement. Red sequin dress on Tootsie. So, and Beetlejuice is in a striped suit. But other than that, the dress is a different sequence and a different look. And the Beetlejuice fabric is, of course, completely different from the one from the film. 
Though I should point out that the original movie of Tootsie opens in 1982, while Beetlejuice came out in 1988. Oh, 88. Oh, well, good. You've got the numbers. I thought they were at the same time. They were big hair and shoulder pads. <laughs> well, yeah, and they both also featured Gina Davis. Yeah, in fact, speaking of Young Frankenstein, it was recently announced that Mel Brooks is going to be producing a live TV production of the musical for ABC this fall. No other details have been revealed yet, but if you get offered a chance to work on the show again, would you be up for it? Well, I have been and I am. <laughs> oh, you are? Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, well, that's great. So, hey, people will get to experience your costumes in that show once more. Well, I did, I've done two live Broadway shows on television. I did Grease Live. Mm-hmm and then I did A Christmas Story with Matthew Broderick directed by Scott Ellis and so this will be my third it'll be directed by Susan Sterling alright yeah I had a feeling a lot of the same creative team was going to be doing it I loved doing both of those because it really is live it's just like doing a Broadway show <laughs> except more people are seeing it and if there's a mistake the mistake is shown too so I sort of love the no net you know you can't go back in and edit anything well, yeah, plus it's one night only. That's right. Literally live. And uh, speaking of which, you've also done quite a bit of work in film and television. You even received an Emmy nomination for your work in Fox's 2016 live production of Grease. From what I understand, film is a much more detailed medium, especially from a visual standpoint, than live theater. What is it like for you designing costumes for the screen, and what would you say are the biggest differences between working in that medium and the stage? Oh, that's one of my favorite questions. I'm not asked it enough, so thank you for that. Here goes. <laughs> my attraction to, the, to being a costume designer is it's so satisfying, challenging, fear-inducing. All the parts of life, designing a show that takes place in actual time over two and a half hours. I love working on the arc of a character's development from the first time you see the character, first scene, till the end of the show with or without an intermission. I really connect with that because you're doing it in real time. Real people are watching it. On the stage, you see the entire body, head to toe, always at the same time. There are no close-ups. It's just really my calling. I love doing that. That's done in order and in live time, and you, the audience, are seeing the people perform it in order of the scene. Draw a line under that. Next subject. Film art often television except for live television so film and television the <clears throat> scenes are shot out of order they are not done in order there is no arc of development from my point of view except on the page and preparing because they're really shot for film is shot by the choice of location if people say over a 20 year period of a story go to the same drugstore you shoot all of those drugstore scenes, 20 years, you change the hair and makeup and clothes, and you shoot that in one day. The structure is by location. That is not as satisfying for me, because my job that I do on Broadway is then in film done by the editors, the people in the editing room after all the film has been shot. They put it in order, because often we shoot scenes with different looks. If there's different lighting or something, sometimes we do that, not all the time. So really, the editor creates the final look of a film. And it's not as satisfying to me. I don't feel I've been as involved. 
and that's the raw truth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or at least it's my opinion, the raw opinion of me. <laughs> yeah. And I should also point out that when the North Carolina Museum of History had their movie exhibits, they had one of the costumes you designed for Will Ferrell for the 2005 film adaptation of The Producers on display. Will Ferrell, another North Carolina native. Oh, I didn't know that. His people are from Rhode Rapids and Weldon. Absolutely. We have cousins in common. His cousin married my cousin. Yeah, so I guess what was it like getting to work with him on that movie? Oh, he's great. In fact, when I walked into the first fitting, he said, my daddy says we're cousins. I mean, like that. That's how charming he is. I didn't know at the time, so we had to go ask his daddy because I wasn't sure. In, indeed, his father's first cousin married like my second cousin, and we have those cousins, their children in common. So, And you know, in North Carolina, that's important. So uh, that was a fun little opening. But Will is so professional. Well, of course, you know, he's a major funny man in America. And the comedians, you know, are the smartest people because the basis of comedy is truth. And finding that truth in order to turn it into something else. There you go. That's the assignment. <laughs> so he's brilliant, actually. Brilliant. And over the years, several of the productions you've worked on have been remounted, like Roundabout Theatre Company brought back Sam Mendes and Rob Marshall's production of Cabaret in 2014. You've mentioned the revised version of Young Frankenstein debuting in the West End in 2017. And Hairspray will soon be back on the London stage. And when revisiting some of your older designs, how often do they stay the same to how they originally looked? And how often do you bring in some new ideas? Ah, there you go. That's good. Well, I'll go backwards. Young Frankenstein, because we made the production over there in London. So London made, we didn't use the clothes. I was allowed to reimagine several of the looks, many of the looks, for that production. For the hairspray, it's being brought back to the West End, once again starring Michael Ball as Edna Turnblatt. So I've just sent over another big load of fabrics, because when shows close or when shops get tired of keeping all the bins of fabrics, I get them. I take them, and I sort of you know, store them, and then against, as we say down south, against the time as one might need them. And, and here we are, justifying, I've been sending some of those 20-year-old uh, fabrics over to uh, London for hairspray. That will be closely duplicated from that production because in London they own that production that we did how many years ago it was. So that will be not altered, just freshened up. But when you mentioned Cabaret and Sam Mendes and Rob Marshall, we had a new Sally Bowles. We had uh, Michelle Williams, followed by Emma Stone, followed by Sienna Miller. I mean, that's a roster, I'll say. <laughs> and I actually redesigned Sally Bowles for each of them. How about that? I got in the redesigning mode. Natasha Richardson, of course, was our Sally Bowles. Of course, Cabaret had been done many times, and we were not the first revival. Though, of course, you know the original MC. Joel Gray, famous vision and performance. Then Alan Cumming became the MC, and the look for him that we created, 50-50. It seems when people do cabaret, half the time the MC looks like Joel Gray, and the other half it looks like Alan Cumming, I'm told, in colleges and regional theaters. So that's interesting. So that's sort of a successful comment. So we did reimagine the two principles in cabaret when we revived it, but everyone else... We just continued in the same vein that we had done earlier at the Roundabout. Before we go, do you have any other upcoming projects you'd like to share with us? I mean, you of course already mentioned you will be doing Young Frankenstein on TV. Anything else? Oh, my goodness. You know, I have about six projects that I like to 
referred to as hovering up there in the sky. It takes years and years for a show to actually happen. I've done readings and workshops of lots of shows that never happened. And in fact, there is a production of Kung Fu Panda that Susan Stroman was directing, and we worked on for six years. Kung Fu Panda, yes, the film, the children's film. And we were going to do it in Macau. And so just a month or so ago, they completely canceled it after six years of working on it. Because we were making the clothes and doing all the prototypes in Hong Kong. We were over there during the first of the protests. But of course, they weren't American protests. They were very polite and very organized. It didn't seem like wild to us, we Americans. But uh, of course, over there, that was it was quite shocking and upsetting. It just went on from there. And then with the horror that's happening right now over in China, they've canceled our production. Especially with the coronavirus. Correct. And that's the epicenter. So maybe eventually, because everything ends, even the Black Plague ended. So we may go back and finish it yet, but may, may take a moment. And in conclusion, for those who would like to have a career in the theater, where do you think would be a good place to start? Oh, my goodness. Well, it depends on what area. If you want to be an actor, if you want to be a stage technician, an electrician, a stage manager, a costume designer, there are different schools where you can go. I'm going to tell you one of the best schools around is uh, School of the Arts in Winston-Salem. And they even have a wonderful film department. So I would say it's in our own backyard if this is being broadcast in North Carolina. Of course, I should have said, first of all, Chapel Hill, the Carolina Playmakers. It's still a wonderful training ground, uh, one excellent training grounds. And then there are other schools. Uh, Elon has a wonderful musical theater program. Oh, what's it called in Greensboro? The most expensive school in North Carolina. What's that? They've got a wonderful theater program. So North Carolina has a really excellent uh, series. And I'm forgetting Cullowee. I mean, they've got Western Carolina. has got a musical program. I mean, so many different places to go to study. So I think the main thing is just start. Just start. The whole the university system really does provide a wonderful array. And then there are the private schools that also have wonderful programs. I know because I go and visit them. So I've seen firsthand and I give talks or I go and see shows. And I'm on the board of Friends of at School of the Arts, so I get to see. And I go back to Chapel Hill all the time. I just gave a small master class in the costume shop this past fall at Chapel Hill. So I, I keep my eye on the what's happening, and then I work with the, at the Lost Colony every summer, and I see them in action. I see the actors, I see the technicians. I don't see the playwrights because they do their own plays. They have a whole summer theater program that young directors and playwrights, but I don't usually hang around for that, but they do do it. So there's a lot of theater being done, being supervised, being off the charts. There's guerrilla theater. There are people doing it, you know, in, in unusual places. I would say we have a very healthy uh, training ground in uh, North Carolina. Well, yeah, and I believe in the Western Carolina University is where uh, Terrence Mann teaches. See, there you go. And Terry Mann used to be there working with the musical theater program. There's a lot. And I, so therefore, my suggestion is dive right in and start with one thing, take an array of classes. And you might be surprised, maybe you want to work backstage. <laughs> if most people start with they want to be an actor. Well, start that way. Maybe you are an actor. Maybe you will be an actor. But there's also backstage. Very rewarding. We who are in the dark and not seen. <laughs> very exciting careers can be had. Now, William, I thank you very much for devoting your time to this interview. It was great getting to talk to you. 
Well, great. Thank you. Well, in any case, for those who'd like to keep up with your career, where can they find you on the internet? Oh, my goodness. I'm sort of a Luddite. www.williamivylong.com? I'm not really sure. I don't look myself up. That sounds like my website. I think that's where you find me. Mm -hmm. I think that's it. I put it in my bio, but I'm sort of, as I said, it's not my technology is not i still use my royal upright typewriter and i don't have a computer and i'm talking on a landline right now. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i guess i'm retro <laughs> i do have a cell phone yes i do but i'm not using it right now thank you again for talking to me today william well thank you thanks for being interested yes and i hope you enjoy the rest of your day great okay bye-bye bye If you love this show, please leave us a review. Go to ratethispodcast.com slash carereviewspodcast and follow the simple instructions. Feel free to subscribe to wherever you get this podcast. If you'd like to find more content from me, please visit my website, which is www.carereviews.net. You can also find it on Twitter at carereviews and me at Jeffrey Care. Thanks for listening, and I will see you all later.